Okay. <laughs> wow. Okay. <laughs> it's gonna be really emotional. There is no loss for being honest. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. The responsibility we feel towards the world, like questioning, challenging, say something. Raw and vulnerable and open conversation. That was the best part. I'm scared of the friendship. Taking a breath. Just talk. Shame and guilt. Vulnerabilities. <laughs> that was about to be What does it really mean to be friends? We trust the real work that we do is overcoming our insecurities every day and learning how to love more. It has examples of the change we want to see in the world. Just talk. taking a breath. So if we just take a breath. Well, my face is on fire from the doctors. <laughs> To have healthier relationships with women, they need healthier relationships with other men. The real work of life is the work that we do inside ourselves. So I'm in an open relationship with my husband, and my husband and I sold our house ten months ago. We have twins that are four years old, we travel around the world, and this is my boyfriend. Hi! <laughs> Perfect! Hi. Hi, this is Marty. Thank you for joining me and my friend Dala. On this very special episode. We recorded it on May 15th before my country erupted into protests and violent police responses. We had no idea at the time how appropriate this conversation would be. We did wait to publish it in order to make sure that the voices during our protests were heard. And now in Pride Month, we're happy to announce this episode. In this episode, we discuss love, identity, masks, pronouns, gender, sexuality, PTSD, vulnerability, safety, protesting, being allies, self-alignment, even skin color and homophobia. Really, this is one of the most powerful episodes I've had the pleasure to be a part of, and my friend is brilliant. She offers a lot of clarity, busting myths, and giving an idea of what her experience is like in the world. I hope you can learn something from it. I hope it allows you to reflect deeper. I hope that it makes you reflect so that you can help create safe spaces for people like my friend all over the world. And please do check out our show notes as we're going to put resources in there for what we talked about in the episode, as well as ways that you can support and become an ally out in the community. Now more than ever, we need your voice out there. Now more than ever, we need you to check yourself and to reflect and to figure out who you really want to be. What change do you want to see in the world? There is no normal to return to. The world is changing forever. What world do you want to create in its place? Because in great breakdown, we can have great breakthrough, but only if we're intentional about it. So this is about setting some intentionality. And if anything, I just want to save space for my friend. So thank you for listening in advance. If this touched you in any way, please share this episode. Please share the resources. And if you have the means to support the communities at large, please do so. Without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right, Dala, my friend. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you for inviting me. We are in different places in the world. We come from different cultures. We met at a conference and made fast friends and had really authentic connections right out of the gate. And early on, you revealed who you are authentically to us. And I felt honored about that and knowing that that can be a challenge in today's world. So I feel honored about it because when I feel let into someone's real life, I feel like we make an authentic connection. So I want to share some gratitude with that, that experience with you. It was a gamble to me, but I make gambles all the time. <laughs> and 
I try to be as authentic as possible, which seems contradictory to what we are going to talk today. <laughs> but I just love that we had like that connection at the very beginning of like our meetup <laughs> back then yeah. at Carlos and Lucas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I so I Dallas in, in Mexico. We'll say that much. We won't say where because you're only partially out as yes. a trans woman, right? And so we use the pronoun she and I and her, and that's how I see you. And we're going to talk today about like identity and who you are, who you feel you are, and how those identities change over time, right? And we're going to talk about masks and the necessity of masks and the danger of masks. And then we're going to talk about love because I say I love you when I chat with you and you say you love yeah. me and my family and there is love there. So this episode is how Marty loves the trans women. And I want to make sure that everybody <laughs> understands what's possible out there and what that means and what, what we can make it mean. And so that's kind of the conversation, would you say? Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that the more that I've grown and self-discovered in, in a lot of ways, I still do. I feel that you start to notice that love is just not like a single pattern and it's not from a single source and it flows like water. It's not a, it's not something fixed in, in stone. It's something that just like changes and molds as your worldview expands. Right. I will say that much right now. Right. And sometimes your love like water can boil and sometimes it yeah. can be <laughs> <Right. Yeah. laughs> <Sometimes, laughs> frozen. <laughs> right. Right. I think uh, one of the things I would love to tell our audience is that you're an incredible artist and I and multi-dimensional artist. You're an illustrator. I know you follow some manga, right? Yeah. And then you also have uh, you're one of the most articulate people I know, and you teach English and you, you speak in Spanish and English and eloquently in both, sometimes better than me. In <laughs> fact, you teach English. And my biggest challenge with using other pronouns is I was so bad with English. I'm like, well, what's, what's a pronoun? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, it's, and it's so funny because in Spanish, like just recently, we, we had, had to come up with new pronouns and suffixes for the words in order to make them work for like other genders and identities. <laughs> yeah, so you have to like take a traditionally gender dominant language, yes. Spanish, French. Especially because there's no neutral, neuter like pronouns in, in Spanish. It's just like male, well, or female. male or female. And then if it's at yeah. any point more than one, if it's mixed, it's automatically male, which is like, the, it's in the language it's for stupid. male dominant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm currently reading uh, Don Quixote. Oh, that's a very good book. Yeah, it's considered one of the greatest in all time. And I'm not one that reads a ton of classic literature, but I and I also listen to audiobooks. So yeah. I have a whole breakdown around the fact that I listen to audiobooks because I'm phonically dyslexic. And I say I read and I do, I go through tons of books, but I do them on it. So I don't know if I, I can say I'm a reader or I'm a book listener, but I'm listening to and, and studying Don Quixote. There's so much about identity in Don Quixote. Yeah. And also I'm reading it, you know, this book is written in the 1600s and in two different era, time frames. And yeah, I which is just like so outdated for today's well, era. <laughs> there's so many things like it's 2020. Yeah. We're in the middle exactly. of this crazy pandemic. I'm atheist. I'm polyamorous. I'm reading this book and it's beautiful in its language. It's so well-balanced in its dialogue and its arguments. Like everything is considered 
it flows each chapter. There's like hundreds of chapters. Each chapter could live on its own. And what I noticed that I have to get by is the rampant misogyny, you know, oh, yeah. this whole section about <laughs> women's virtue and like <laughs> women aren't, don't have the power to be virtuous without like, you know, it's just like this, yeah. you have to get past all of that. You have to get past all the religion and the racism because it talks shit about the Moorish So it's a, it's a amazing experience to read something like that right now and really be thinking about identity, right? And what we believe reality is. And so that's so relatable in that book because the whole adventure is just about a man trying to find his place and identity in, in the world and just like constantly getting stomped by reality and just fighting back with all he has and, and now he believes in. Yeah. And it's, and it's paradoxical throughout yeah. the whole book and you don't know whether you should be like taking it seriously <laughs> or, or he's either a genius or he's fucking yeah. crazy and you can never really like anytime you start making a decision the book changes your perspective yeah you know, and i uh, i think it's brilliant that way and i think in that way like you know here we are in 2020 and you know my background as our audience knows intimately if they've listened to you know the first 24 episodes before this <laughs> is I am polyamorous. I'm I'm practicing polyamory, not polyamory as an identity, but practicing that as a relationship structure. I'm a straight mixed breed male that lives outside of his country. And I have a metamor, which is my wife's partner, Megan's partner, Kyle. I have a partner who's also not able to be identified, right? So her identity is protected and she's anonymous. All the people know is that she's in South America and she's female, right? <laughs> and, I, and that's our relationship right now. And so I think this kind of steps into gender and, and identity. And so what would you like the audience to know about, about your identity? I won't say that it constantly changes, at least in the gender part. I am still very defined as female. But what I can say is that every time, like all the time, I find myself in new contexts and situations. What I have to constantly think about is that I have this certain identity and I've discovered it and I feel that this is what represents me, but how do I handle it with the outside world? And that's something that I struggled a lot back in 2016 when I just like came out of the closet and just like finally kind of understood this necessity of just like acknowledging who I was. And it took me a very, very long time. I went through a lot of bullying and also like confusion when I was growing up. Not confusion in the, in the sense that like some parents tell their kids like, hey, I mean, you're just confused. I mean, you will be back to normal and you will start to like girls like as, as intended or guys as intended. It was more like all of this input and toxic masculinity that I'm living around is confusing my own perception of self. And all my teenage dreams, and I mean, I think that early adulthood, I tried to convince myself of this idea that I was actually cis heterosexual male. And at 2015, I just like broke down by, by a dream that I had. I remembered that I was dreaming and I had a different body and I could see myself in a wet like street. And the reflection was, was somebody else. It was still me, but it was not the me that I showed to the world. It was, it was somebody else. And it was like the body of, of a woman. At the moment, I felt like so happy to see that reflection. And then I woke up and just like reality just like crushed me. And 
I feel, I think that I was very depressed. I think that I lasted like uh, two months, like thinking about that dream and just like searching, like hiding, like my web browsing history, trying to find out what was this feeling and, and how it should be identified because everything I knew, especially because I didn't have like that much LGBTQ friends was that women like that were just like drag queens or travesties or people that make up for, for a role. And I felt very confused. And most of my searches were just like how to physically change myself because I was attempting to look like the person that I saw in my dream. As time went on and I started to open up to my friends, the ones that I literally count on, it was a very difficult process because I had another account and it had like a thousand and something friends, but most of them were like right wing or just like shit posters or people that didn't really care about gender and you like called you like a snowflake for stuff like that. And I came to a point where I realized that I didn't want people like that in my life anymore. But at the same time, I needed to know what people could I count on. So I made another, like a new social media account from scratch. And I started with 20 or 30 people, which was way more than I expected at the beginning. I mean, I thought that I was going to come with just like one or three people. I hear a couple of things going on is one, there is this like self-exploration of who am yes. I, right? Which is clouded by the noise of society's rules and identities and the things that you've been taught or indoctrinated to believe. And then yes. there's this other battle of safety, having the ability then to safely explore this. Because I think about this on the opposite end of the spectrum of identity exploration. I don't want to be in my career anymore, right? There is very little threat for me going well. Maybe I'll change roles in my job. Maybe I'll change my identity from this type of entrepreneur to this type of entrepreneur. Maybe I will, you know, I've just recently become a vegetarian over the last five months, right? This is a much safer identity to take on. Not that I'm without attack, right? There is still yeah. indoctrinated, like, you're going to eat meat or I'm going to shove it down. <laughs> right? Like there's this, this like fear that comes out of, well, I, you know, how do you go to McDonald's? You know, like I don't go to McDonald's. I've been married on 10 years or more. <laughs> but like there's, there's that, but it's benign. It's not threatening. It doesn't threaten my life, right? Which is something you yeah. have to consider. It doesn't threaten my career that I'm a vegetarian. It doesn't threaten any of my relationships for the most part, except for people that are like hardcore anti-vegan type of people that would drink disinfectant to battle. The <laughs> we have two different experiences, but of the same kind of journey, we're looking for our own identity and we're finding that. So you have this added value or added threat of security. I could right? die. Yeah. So let's start there a little bit because I think it's yeah. really important for anyone listening yes to put into perspective the challenges that are for, there for different people and different identities like i could get really upset with my partner and be like i really want you to be out but that's not my choice right she has to feel her own power to, to come out she has to feel empowered by coming out but she feels a threat and there's a reason for that and you're coming from a society a latin x community right so why don't you talk about that that background so we get some context for the audience there. First of all, every transgender person's uh, experience is going to be completely or drastically different. There's not a specific path to be a transgender person, like not even one bit. 
and it's not related to your physical looks or just like adopting certain mannerisms. It has to be more with just like the recognition of the things that you identify as. Also, a lot of what you've been taught is going to come with that personality as well. And I grew up in an environment where I didn't feel safe for the most part. I grew up, I, to, to this day, I still like live with my family. And the situation with them is that it's not like a, a number protective family. It's just that we pretend that things work out, but you can see like behind the curtains that things are not well. And ever since I was like a little kid, I had to teach myself like these survival tactics, like, right? So if I saw my mother or my dad angry, I mean, I had to behave or I had to change my body language so they wouldn't beat the shit out of me. And I think that like overall, I just like started to adapt that strategy with a lot of other things like people at school. I was bullied a lot by different people in middle school. And I remember like very clearly this idea that, okay, I don't belong at school. I don't belong at my house. Where the fuck am I supposed to be or exist? So this is the function of PTSD and yes. early development. And the, there's a book, The Body Keeps Score, which anyone struggling with PTSD, I believe, should read, but carefully. And you know, and if you're really sub subject to things like flashbacks and that, make sure that you have someone supporting you, a therapist or something like that. But in The Body Keeps Score, one of the things that I can relate to similarly to you is this developmental age of... Yes having an identity crisis and then having threat be in there and being bullied and beaten. I got my ass kicked and bullied for probably eight years old to 14-ish, which turned me into a, a vicious fighter. I got thrown into martial arts and then my father told him to kick the shit out of me until I was tough. So that lasted four years. So I wasn't a vicious fighter. I was an incredibly good victim. You were a kid. Yeah, I was a kid. And then and then we talk about this too, like having more identities than one, like you have a dual citizenship. I have an Indian from India, Punjabi background, 50% and 50% Irish Catholic. And then if you do the, the American style of math, another 50% of me is American. Yeah. Right? So like I, I have three cultures and they call that a third culture kid. And I, one of the impacts of this is having no real cultural identity. And then if you add in to that, no safe spaces, like your family's not safe, school's not safe, the community's not safe, you don't have an outlet to someone who is safe. That is like the perfect storm for developmental PTSD, which is a function of really needing to belong. And then the cognitive dissonance of, is supposed to be this motherling safe space, right? But when the mother is also part of the perpetrator, then there's this cognitive dissonance of the place I'm supposed to be safe, I'm not safe. Mm -hmm. Right. And like so I, I love my mother, but she could be a threat to me. So I have to have this double face with her. Right. But at the same time, it's very confusing for a kid to process that. Well, yeah. And this is what leads actually to that developmental PTSD is this inability to ever find a safe space. It keeps you on guard all the time. You have multiple faces and masks that you have to put on to survive different things. But what it creates is a byproduct for third culture kids is often the ability to code switch and code switching is a phenomenon of like when we speak we actually speak in languages that the other person then decodes and like if i speak like a chicagoan or i speak like a international english speaker or i or i walk in and i can 
blend with the cultural identity of my Indian family and temple. And then I can go to my step family who's Mexican and I can go to a quinceanera and blend. And like, it's all the ability to code switch my language to fit whatever community and identity is. I can quickly mimic any cultural norm in any place I go. And it's a, it's a superpower. It's like being able to, to move fluidly through these communities, but it's also uh, leaves you kind of spinning within authenticity. Right. Exactly. And you have like this imposter like disorder sometimes that you feel like you are just like lying to people or fooling them to believe that you are a certain kind of person, but you aren't truly. And I have diagnosed borderline personality disorder, so that might have like to come with that. But it's just it's just like you say, it's a consequence of the PTSD that I acquired over the years. And while I agree that it's a superpower, I also agree that it gets me into a very big disadvantage when I try to empathize. I, I, I can't empathize with people, but at the same time, it's just like a regular impulse. Like, what should I do to adapt and in which way should I speak or move in order to be accepted in this like specific social group? Yeah, I think so. it also clouds one's ability to self-identify. Like, I'm going through that right now here in New Zealand. I'm in the most beautiful place, beautiful nature, friendly for the most part people i am you know in this pandemic in the safest country in the world that's pretty much squashed it we're in lockdown level two at the moment but i am uncomfortable and part of what i'm uncomfortable by is that there is the standard issue kiwi here and they have you know i've talked to several uh new zealanders who talk about the tallest poppy syndrome where you don't stand out here and it's very apparent like there's not a lot of It's very homogeneous in many ways, right? I've actually figured out that there, there are two type of white Kiwis, those that wear shoes and those that don't wear shoes. So there's like, <laughs> there's the ones that'll go to the grocery store without shoes on. And they're like the organic granola ones that I love getting along with. And then there's the other ones that all wear the same shoes and drive the same kind of car and talk the same way. And I'm used to that. And then, I, and then I've spent time on a Maori farm with Pacifica people and people from all over the world is super diverse group of people and their experience of New Zealand is different than the experience that my white friends have in New Zealand. Right. And yeah. some are aware of this and some are not aware of this, but then I'm walking through this and my style is different. My look is different. I sound different. I'm an American, but I'm brown enough that they're unsure. Like I could be Italian. I could be Spanish. So I get looked at by the Pacifica people in my neighborhood. Like, where's this guy from? Right? <laughs> Not in a bad way, but more like in a curious way. And I get the same experience with white people here. And then I don't really know who the fuck I am because yeah. now I've also lost my identity with America. I'm so disgusted by my country's response to everything. So scared for my family that I'm losing my identity with American. And then I'm like, The closest thing I got is Chicago in. And even that, I'm like, I don't know when I'll be back. I don't know how I feel about all of that. So I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of an identity crisis when it comes to where's my culture. And I also know that that's my advantage of, of being able to fly free. So it's, it's just kind of a double-edged sword. It comes with like certain benefits. And that's something that at least my parents always told me that I would have all these benefits as long as I was like cease passing. And the moment that I showed myself or my true colors, I was going to get kicked by the world. Do you feel that that's your advice? Not exactly. Not okay. like, not, not one bit. Explain. But yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it sounded like a bit confusing, right? This is just like more like close to what 
per word like translation to what they said, right? But should I use like lost my my train of thought? No, this is a tough conversation. So I yeah. want to first of all make sure that we have compassion through all of this. I want to thank you because this is we have to dig into wounds, right? We have yeah. to dig into some dark places here, and we have to unpack some really complex complex thought experiments in a very complex world. So being gentle. Hey, we were talking about your parents' advice of being like, as long as you can pass for size, gender, hetero, male. Yes, that's actually another conversation that we had, which is a lie, right? I mean, you are told by other people uh, a certain or a specific lie that you are forced to believe. But what I wanted to get at with your comment about feeling like this huge disadvantage about not knowing your identity, but still getting benefits I think that happens the same with my family dynamic. Like a lot of times, I mean, we portray this like perfect family like image, even though it isn't. And every time that someone comes to my house, it looks like, wow, I mean, your house is beautiful and your family looks like so happy and united, but they don't know like behind the curtains what is going on. But at the same time, you are getting like these quote unquote benefits from like maintaining like that portrait or that specific family mask that we were in front of, of, of society, right? So, yeah, well, that's arguable, right? Because this yeah. is something that that I think community is suffering from is that we all wear these masks. And I didn't have this. Megan talks about this a lot, that there is a persona that they try to like maintain, like just keep it together, motherfucker, right? That's the whole plan, right? And like, yeah. But that's not really true. And we don't really relate in all these positive successes. We we really relate in vulnerability. And I think what's happening is the families aren't visibly vulnerable with anybody else. Like the, the lie is that if you keep it all together and everyone thinks you're okay, then that's the best way to play. And that's not that's what not we believe. How it works. <laughs> you're allowed to make fuck ups and have breakdowns and show yourself as vulnerable. But most importantly, you're allowed all those things. And you should be allowed to have them in a space where you are loved and understood and that people are going to be patient with you, regardless of whatever mistake you commit or whatever, like just like vulnerability just rises or a certain aspect of your personality that you don't like that much. I mean, it shouldn't matter as long as you are in a space where you feel safe and comfortable with expressing those things. Yeah, I think vulnerability in a community is a huge asset. Right. And when we have the ability to be vulnerable, then a lot of these masks can go away. Yeah. And then we, it's easier to then explore who we are more authentically. Because, you know, one of the things that you and I have is very little noise in our relationship. Yes. Right. I think that's one of the best things. And one of the reasons I love you is that I feel like I got to know you on an authentic level. And there are so many things that we have in common like geeking out about story <laughs> structure and like you bring the Eastern philosophy of manga story structure and I bring the Joseph Campbell, like here is there anything we could geek out on that for like two hours. That's a whole other fucking podcast. Right? We love and storytelling. Then, <laughs> yeah. And then like you drew me some art when we were at that conference yeah. and it was beautiful. And I, I still have that as like, I'm a minimalist. I got rid of all my shit. That's <laughs> one thing that's in my like two boxes I have remaining at my dad's house. It's like sacred and protected. And I have, like I have the, we have this, this language thing that we love. We have a global mindset. We have a, you know, all of these things are really important to us and we could get there and I can see you and you can see me and it's safe and it's vulnerable. And that's really, really relating. And that's yeah. how I think love emerges. Yes, exactly. And we are allowed of all of those things because we are, we make 
space for each other to have like this authentic communication without all the noise of what involves to have a mask. Because I know that my family gave me some values and some rules and lies that I have to stick with. But the truth is I, that I am not the person that they think I am. And I didn't mold myself to believe those lies because deep down I always held to like this burning desire of just like knowing who I was and what was my purpose and to give my to give validation to my own feelings because at the time I had very few people that I could use like speak so honestly and openly about these things about emotions and stuff. I spent most of my teenage years just like fighting with people that didn't even try it or attempt to know me. But right now that I met more people and that I see the compassion that others can have, I've started to feel more secure about lowering down. Like it's not lowering down my my guard because my mask is not guarding me like that much. It's not protecting me absolutely. It helps me to have a certain level of stealth in society. But as long as that stealth is gone, I have no other protection with myself. So I have to pick like everything that I have. And the thing with people and love is that when I meet someone that catches my interest or that I feel that I can communicate openly with, I don't feel the need to use like cloaking because I want the opposite. I mean, I grew up to feel that I have to hide myself as much as I can. But when I am with someone that I have a meaningful conversation or relationship, I feel this desire to be seen and, and to be heard. I want to know, do you feel safe in society where you live? I honestly don't. <laughs> and we, we had a, a, a very brief discussion and, and we said that we are not going to have that, that conversation because it's kind of depressing. <laughs> well, I mean, with COVID is another thing, but like with yeah. identity is what I'm really talking about too. It's like, do you feel safe in your society to be you? No. Like okay. if I have to be particularly honest, I don't. And I don't feel that society has done enough for me or people like me to allow us to feel safe or, or comfortable. In the LGBTQ community, where you identify as T. Yes. Right. So you can have more than one letter in this. <laughs> right? I, I, have, I have plenty. And, and yeah. I've started to learn those like as time went on. <laughs> yeah. And the Q, like the Q is arguable too, because anyone that feels outside of the norm can identify as queer. However, there are people in LGBTQ community that say you have to be some sort of sexually different, like you have to either be gay or bi to take the Q. But for some degree, us as polyamorous are in this queer dynamic too. So like we have this kind of new relationship to LGBTQ and what that means and are trying to explore that carefully and respectfully. But in the T section of this, do you feel safe in that community? In the transgender community, I think that I do. I I can say certainly that I that I do. Of course, there are certain people that are the exception, but you cannot make like generalizations based yeah. on a very small like demographic. Overall, I've had a very good experience, and something very beautiful happened on March because we had like this parade. It wasn't it wasn't a parade. It was a protest in regards of women rights in Mexico. And there was this situation where I was getting invited by all of my friends to just like, just go I mean, and protest and help us and fight with us. And I was very scared at the beginning because I was like, in to an extent, I want to go. 
But on the other side, I, I don't know if the people that are going to be in the same parade as me are going to start attacking me because I, I'm not passing enough as a woman. So that was my main concern. And I was pleasantly surprised because all of the people that organized the protest took note of, of these insecurities and made sure that everyone, like from cis uh, heterosexual woman to just like queer to transgender woman to non-binary people felt comfortable in, in the parade. And I can say with all certainty that I marched with all of them and I've never felt so safe in, in my life. And yeah. it's something that, that we all share when we had like that march. We were all scared that police officers were going to attack us or that there was going to be some kind of riot and we were going to get injured, we probably would have died. But on the opposite end, I mean, everything just ended up like just beautifully and, and wonderfully. And I think that that speaks tons of what it's like to feel that you are in, in a community that is not represented, but at the same time, you're not alone in, in that fight. And you have a lot of people that feel the same inequality and the same like desire to be free and to feel safe. And that's what I felt when I had that that experience. I want to give you a little bit of gratitude and some credit and reflect back to you on your courage. Because I've also been in many protests. I've been on the front line of a protest in Chicago, shutting down the highway where there's like a thousand cops and dogs and helicopters and tanks. And they're saying they're going to arrest everybody. And I've been beaten by the cops before. So I know, like, and I know, I know Chicago yeah. cops. And uh, sorry to say it, right? I don't trust Chicago cops. They they like to pull their weapons out. Right? <laughs> so if there's any Chicago cops listening to this, uh, sorry and fuck you at the same time. I just see the weapons come out too fast. Like my nanny got pulled over with my kids sleeping in the car for an expired plate. And the cop had his hand on his gun and screaming at her. You know, my kid's in the back seat. You pull that weapon, officer. We're going, we're going to have some court battles here. Right? Like at the end of the day, this is my experience, right? So there's a threat. There's a really high threat. And you mentioned two of those and you kind of casually went over one of them. You're like, okay, I'm, you know, there's this potential threat of being accepted in this woman's protest. But then the one you're like casually about, and we could die, right? Exactly. Right? And you just kind of brush past this, like we could die. But the reality is that that exists. You know, in the United exactly. States right now, since the quarantine started, there has been at least 10 murders of trans women that are not really being investigated or prosecuted. And that kills my heart because... And what, the worst part is that the newspapers handle the femicides of transgender women so poorly and distastefully that it's not even funny. Every time that I see a headline regarding a topic about a, a diseased or passed away trans woman, it's always with the note like, oh, I mean, this, this uh, guy just dressed like a girl in a bar and got beaten up. It's just like, it's not a, a disguise, dude. It's not a, a fucking custom from Halloween. It's it's a person and what she was trying to do is just live her normal life with her identity exactly. exposed as everybody else has the right to do, but nobody has to just like be scared of dying by, by that crap. And I'm going to pause right there to take a moment to let that sink in. Right now, to be a trans woman, almost anywhere in the world, could be a death sentence. So we're going to take this ad in the middle of this podcast and we're going to dedicate it to the Okra Project. To me, the Okra Project is brilliant. The Okra Project, as it says on its website, 
is a collective that seeks to address the global crisis faced by black trans people by bringing home cooked, healthy, and culturally specific meals and resources to black trans people wherever we can reach them. I love to cook. Food is a source of primal nurturing for each other. And this project, this project takes their donations and helps people. And I want you to think about your life and how easy it is in many ways and how you don't have to think about these things. And I want you to listen to my friend. I want you to hear the pain. I want you to hear the reality. And I want you to think about how you can help. And you might be digging deep in a lot of ways in your soul. This, this episode might hit you hard. And there are things in the show notes. You can, you can click on those if you want to support in other ways. You can find your own ways to support the trans community. But this Pride Month and every month, think about everyone being inclusive. And I think the Okra Project is a great project to start with. So this ad is dedicated to them. They didn't ask for it. They didn't sponsor this. It is simply because I believe in them and I want to drive attention to them. And I'm going to use this platform to drive attention to them. They can be found at theokraproject.com. That's T-H-E-O-K-R-A project.com. Please donate if you have the means. Please educate yourself if you don't. Please share this with someone who needs to hear it. And please make a safe space for my friend to live in the world as she is, as she identifies herself. Now enjoy the rest of the episode. Thanks for listening. Everybody theoretically has the right to do. Yes. Right. But you can, in the United States, be jogging and uh, the wrong color and be lynched, right? You could be where you are in the world where you just kind of casually brush over that, yeah, we can go to this protest and die, right? Because, yeah. you know, Mexico's not always known for its control of <laughs> police violence. <laughs> There's no control over right? it. <laughs> and, and this is like in a Latin community. I mean, you know, we've now traveled all over the world and, and, from Brazil to Chile to Argentina to now, like I've never been to Venezuela, but we, we had hosted a student for nine months in our house from Venezuela that we, we consider like our host son. And mm-hmm. the you know, there are things like, you know, express kidnappings, which are like 24 hour kidnappings where they drive you around until you get money and they have armored cars and you have this crazy, crazy experiences out there that you have double threat. You have the threat of your identity, you have the threat of these protests, and you still go out and you still support that and you still express that. And I want to give you some gratitude and some respect for that courage. Thank you. I was very scared, but in the end, it's not something that I regret one bit because we were all fighting for the the same thing. And I think that we were doing the right thing regardless of my own safety. And that's very surprising because I usually put my, my safety first. To a degree, I did what I could with that in particular about my safety. But at the same time, I was like, you know, I mean, this is now or never. And every single hand that gets added to the cause helps. So, Yeah. And I have a view about protests when people are like, your protest isn't working, blah, 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 blah. Right. So you have like this very conservative side or even super like left left wing is just like your protests are useless and your right right wing which is like your protest is illegal unless you bring a gun and you know all this other nonsense because it's not their protest Mm -hmm. and then you have the people that are just the naysayers that protests don't work but for me like protesting on the highway in chicago and that particular one i'm not going to change the cops no and i'm not going to change 
my racist and you know Kool-Aid drinking, Trump supporting nonsense community members. The protest is not for them. The protest isn't going to change government and it's not even going to change our opponents' ideas. But for me, the protest is more about my neighbors on the south side and the west side and the north side connecting with me and connecting with them and hearing their stories and interconnecting with each other in this place that we're literally risking our our well-being, right? And so like we are risking our well-being to come together to interconnect and to show each other we exist. And it's more to me about camaraderie and connection of community than it is really about being able to change anyone's mind. Exactly. We are not going to change the minds of, of other people. I want to touch a, a bit of, on, on that note because I find it very interesting to the and, and just like meaningful to the topic. And this is something that you start to understand. I mean, at least in my case, I don't think that I can change like how society views me. But that's not the point. The point is that regardless of what they think, they have to respect me and they have to respect other people and minorities and, and women and treat them like human beings instead of dehumanizing like us. And I think that if you take it in, in that way, it's not about changing the minds of anybody because there are people that are never going to change and they, are, they don't care about listening to you. But the harder it gets for them to express their hate towards you, I, I think that is just like huge benefit that they can't openly attack you or just like disregard your existence just because they believe that you are not useful or that you are less of a human being than they are. Yeah. And I think really the more that we can be out there and open and displaying who we are in the spectrum of the world, the more, the more we normalize the spectrum and the, the less we normalize this polarized gender, male, female, white, black, Mexican, straight, gay, fucking Indian, anything. These labels, <laughs> yeah, these labels then blur because there's no one identity is not a fixed thing. Right? Our identity changes throughout our life. Even if we take all the political shit out of it, you are identified as a baby, then a toddler, then a child, then a then a preteen, then a teen, then a young adult, then an adult, then then you're a lost adult. I think that's what forties happens. Then then you're older, then you're old, maybe, right? <laughs> then you're a senior, and then you're ancient, and then you're a fossil. Right. And like at the end of the day, like these are identities that that occur because of the arrow of time and because of our growth and our death. Right. There are these shiftings of identity. So identity is something we we have to try to find. There's like an essence to our identity. But then there's also this flexibility we need to have with our identity. And this is not a mask, not the same thing as a mask. And, you know, both you and I have talked about we've lost friends to suicide. We've had darkness in our own lives where we've been on the edge of that ourselves and i think because of that i'm more comfortable talking about this topic but i i've read, mentioned this before in tim ferris's interview with jack cornfield one of the things he talks about is death of an identity jack cornfield being this american buddhist who talks about you know a lot of the problems with suicide is that people think that they need to kill an identity and they they mistake it for the physical body Versus an identity that just needs to die, right? And needs to be allowed to be let go of. So, you know, it doesn't need to die and be bad. It can be, okay, it's it's done now. This identity no longer serves me. I let you go. It's a noble death. And then you can take on a new identity. And I think that's one thing I want to talk to you about is that you have your identity, but then you also have this shifting identity. 
because you have a career identity of all these other things that are going on right now. What identity do you have now, right? Versus, and do you have an identity that's coming? Do you have an identity that you see on the horizon? I think that I have one that's coming. And I think it's just like a more mature version of another one that I <laughs> that I had before with like with more experience and other things and beliefs added to the to the mix. And I was going through a lethargic state. I think it was because I became too used to my job as a teacher. <laughs> so I just became like, just like, it's not comfortable. And to a degree, teaching people gives me joy. And I think it's something that I would like to keep doing as long as I can. But at the same time, I felt that something in my life was lacking. And it doesn't have to do with just like not trying enough. It just had to do with just like being passionate enough about things. So be, be passionate about the job that you're doing right now. Find the passion and find like the excitement to try new things, to do the projects that you left behind, to do like everything that you wanted to talk about, the things that you kept quiet for like so long about like different because of different reasons, because of different context. I think that it's something that it's like slowly emerging and my all the habits are like trying to fight back, but that's fine because I've changed so many freaking times in just like the past 10 years that I know what it's like to feel uncomfortable when you're going to change, but I've learned to identify that I feel uncomfortable, but also notice when that change is positive or negative. And I think that this change is a, is a good thing and something so, that's going to yeah. mm -hmm. So your growth happens outside of your comfort zone. This is one exactly. of my favorite quotes. And I also hear that like you're, you're trying on different identities, taking some from the past, bringing them back. You know, artists might be one of them. Like you let this go to do the teaching and then you bring artists back. And now you, how do you integrate artists in an identity? And I've, I've done similar things with, I, I like contrast. So to yeah. talk about art, right? I think the human eye sees contrast more than it does color. And one of the things I do very hardcore in my life is create contrast. Maybe it's my Gemini nature. Maybe I'm just fucking crazy. <laughs> but like after I sold everything and sold my house and decided to take this gigantic trip, this journey, I was also rejecting all ambition because I thought perhaps my ambition being so high was poisonous. And so I decided that the only way I could know if I needed even ambition or if ambition was poisonous at its core is I'm going to remove all ambition. I will not chase any project. I will not, I'm going to, I'm going to reject all leadership roles. I'm going to I'll let Megan lead. I'm going to let my brother lead our company. I'm going to let my friends lead the discussions. I'm not going to engage business. And it was really, really hard because I rejected this ambition and I discovered to shortcut the learning curve here that you cannot live a life without ambition, but there is layers to ambition that needs to be to understood. In my life, this removal of ambition was one and then this bringing back of a new amb of ambition, but in a more healthier way where I really identify where I am in that spectrum of ambition. That's kind of what I hear you going through right now with kind of returning as like you have a teacher, but now you want to be greater than teacher. You want to bring back some of these essence of your identity. In regards of ambition, I think it's something that I started to learn at the beginning of this year, like in a more healthy light. And it has to do with the fact that I have a very bad relationship with coaching and just like overall like cult-like organizations that want to reap like people from their belongings, their money and identity. 
And something interesting happened before the pandemic started. My family got into this coaching group and you already have like all these all-knowing gurus that tell you like how to behave and what you should care for. I mean, they are always like telling you like, you should want more money. You want more money and want more money, 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 money. And it's all like this superficial description, but people are so blinded by and programmed by those words of those coaches that it's just like, I mean, why the heck do I want the money for? I mean, everybody should be aware of and suspect of anyone telling you what you want, what you should do. Like, don't should on anybody because even on Amory here, we've always tried to be really careful in the sense that we're not telling people how to be polyamorous. Oh, okay. Instead, we're revealing our journey in this in a vulnerable way of how we went about it. Right. But it's really not about giving people answers. It's about giving people the opportunity to ask better questions. Exactly. Right. So for me, the best coaches have always been the ones that have led me down my own personal inquiry to find what I value versus the ones that are like, value this. Value that. Exactly. Right. I think that if I want to take it in a more <laughs> neuter or calmer light, what I got from that experience is just that ambition can be something good and something healthy, but you have to identify what you really want to have and do and experience in your life instead of- Yeah, what aligns with you? What part of your ambition aligns with you? And what is it that, like, that alignment is a superpower in and of itself, right? Alignment is what we're seeking to be aligned with oneself is, we talked about this with Ikigai. Yeah. Ikigai being the Japanese concept of purpose, like what you- are called to do. So what you feel you need to do and what you're skilled at is also what the world needs and what they value enough to pay for. And that is Ikigai, right? So that alignment is powerful. And like the idea of cultivating flow is an alignment of presence and then your action. And then you're in this state, it's a high state of output and you're very, you experience joy and presence and freedom being in the zone. So these states of alignment are really important. So seeking alignment, I think, is is the key to a powerful identity. And I even had a friend in the past say, this is the concept that, that people have a hard time with self-love and they have a hard time because they beat themselves, the beats the shit out of themselves. But I think also people have a hard time with self-love because they feel like it's egotistical. And so they a lot of, so many people are afraid of their ego that they will reject self-love or positive self-talk or any of these things. But I have a friend that like solved this. It's not about being selfish. It's about being self-like, being yeah. like oneself, liking yourself, being the most alike to yourself is like being childlike. It's a good thing. Being childish is a negative thing. Being selfish is a negative thing, but being childlike or self-like is a good thing. So I think there is a, a strong argument that living authentically and finding your yourself and, and aligning is where you find the greatest joy and where you yeah. do your best work. And you have to make a lot of inquiries and questions to yourself in order to find that, that answer. That happened to me when I moved with my ex-boyfriend around two or three years ago. And at that point of my life, like you mentioned, there's a lot of people that don't like themselves that much. And at that point of my life, I didn't like myself at all. <laughs> so I just neglected all ambition and decided to just devote my life to the person that I was with. And it ended up being a one-sided situation. But at the same time, I allowed it because I didn't know what I wanted at the time. And when I experienced like 
all that meant about giving your freedom, giving your identity, giving your necessity or, or needs or wants to a specific person is not healthy for you nor for for the other person. You need to yeah, have your dependency on your identity is codependent to someone else's existence and therefore it's not self-aligned it's not even healthy it's not fair to either party right it's not sustainable because people change and then that dependency is threatened and when that dependency is threatened people can lock in really hard and say some really harsh shit to try to keep it together right so like i think where a lot of people go through breakups megan and i broke up in beginning of our relationship for like a year. She went to Spain. She lived in Barcelona. She was, you know, like most women at that time were like, Spanish men, they're so sexy. And I love their accent, right? Both my partners still say that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so like, I think they sound funny, but like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Not, not your yeah. type, my thing about it was that, you know, both Megan and I were codependent on one another prior to that. And when she went to Barcelona, it was terrible. And she was like, bitch in my phone for a whole year and we we're on and off. And I went to Spain and it was great. And then I came back and we broke up and like, we couldn't, it was tough. Right. And I think what we both needed was that breakup. We needed to be able to grow independently. And when we both grew strong in our own independence with ourselves, then coming together was more powerful because we weren't codependent on one another. And even my partner and I right now being split on different continents are going through that where, you know, as much as we hate this time apart and we're supposed to be together right now, Megan has a phrase that everything's working for us. And the reality is my partner really needed to grow strong and independent on her own and her own power. And I needed to grow strong and independent to the point where I, I wasn't desperate. I can wait and we can use this time to, to grow other dimensions of our love. And I think that's really a really important thing is to find your own independent identity. So you have to be your own person, regardless of the people or, or partner that you have at the moment. Right. Right. Now I want to ask you another question. Now this is for all my hetero size, ignorant friends, <laughs> right? which is you identify as a woman. Yeah. Right. And you just said you dated a man. Mm -hmm. Now what is that in the LGBT spectrum? Are you gay? Are you straight? Because you are a woman, it doesn't matter. Is there a blend? Tell our audience how this Ooh, works. There are a lot of things that I can explain right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what this is for. So let's do it because like there are a lot of ignorant guys out there and women and, and other people like me where to me, it doesn't matter. But to some people, there's curiosity. So let's let's touch on that, if you will. Let's break some myths first, because it usually happens that the first thing that people that are not aware with, with the topic of being queer usually when they ask you or like your identity and when you state like oh, okay i am a transgender woman the first thing that they think is just like oh so you like dudes I mean, it's just, <laughs> i mean it's just like the first thing that comes to mind right that gender identity is intertwined with like sexual attraction towards, towards yeah. people and the thing here is that sexual attraction and gender are two completely different topics if they were the same and only there would be no homosexual people. I mean, because you're a woman, so you must by biology or whatever, like guys and like likewise, right? But right. we know that identity and gender identity and sexuality are not the same because queer people exist because LGBTQ people exist. So sexual attraction and gender and identity are two 
very different things. And there yeah, are love, right? So let's throw that third layer on there that we want to talk about because love as well. Yes. Because you could be transgender male to female, you could feel you could be female inside as your gender, but you could also be asexual. So you could have yeah. no sexual experience, right? Exactly. Right? And so and then you could be asexual and be very loving. So you can have you can have this this trifecta of I'm trans, I'm asexual, and I'm polyamorous. Yes, sexual and, uh, and the heterosexual straight males and their overalls are in in with their shotguns are just minds are exploding, <laughs> right? Yeah, there's going to be a, a lot of like confusion, but I'll try my <laughs> best to keep it just like clear and, and and simple. First of all, like we mentioned before, people don't function as tax. Nothing is fixed by a certain spectrum. There's not, not such a thing as just a white person or a black person because we love to fuck with everybody of all races and kinds and sizes and forms. So by on a biological level, we are all a mix of something else. We are of many things, in fact. And that happens as well with sexual attraction or like romantic attraction towards other people. It's not like you specifically have to fit a, a certain role and there are spectrums or like levels of just like being homosexual or just like being more leaned towards heterosexuality or asexuality. Something very interesting that happens with asexual people, which are like probably most one of the most misunderstood groups <laughs> in the whole community, even in, in the, the community, there is very little representation about them in just like overall conferences or articles. And the thing is that ace people can be like gray, just like gray asexuals, which means that they don't feel like a, a certain just like sexual attraction towards somebody, but that doesn't mean that they don't have any libido or sexual desire. I mean, it's just that the idea of it might seem interesting but the act itself, it's like completely different. Like at the moment that they are there, it's just like, you know what? I mean, I want to eat a cake instead of being in, in this place. Or Yeah. I think what you were talking about too is like we need to uncollapse, like to t take the collapsing of all of these things, yes. gender, romance, sexuality, and take them apart and realize that just like our identity, just like the color of our skin, like, when we say black and white, there's, a, I think, a beautiful, I think it's a TED Talk that goes to the Panatone colors of yeah. skin, right? And there is no black and there is no white, right? There's, like, from dark to mocha to there's, like, clear, there's olive, there's all, there's everything in between. And, like, where do we draw the line? And is it anthropomorphic facial features? Is it structure of the body? Is it distance of the eyes? Is it the color of the skin? Is it the type of the hair? It's like, where where is this boundary that we all call black and white? So the same thing applies for sexuality and asexuality and trans and then romantic, like your gender and your trans identity can be fluid in all of these things, right? And then same thing with your romance, your love and your sexuality. All these things have all these things. So ultimately, we have any possible combination Exactly. And identity and attraction are not a binary. They are a gradient of different tones and colors and forms and shapes that just exist and they can coexist and mix sometimes. And there are just like certain levels, just like when you mix colors in your painting palette, 
you can add some of red and some of blue and you make like this combination of purple, but you also add a, a little bit of white. And just because it's a combination doesn't mean that that color doesn't exist. It's yes. just like a mixture. Yes. And like, you know, this is why we can share and express love between each other. Yeah. Right. I love you, Dala. I feel love from you. This is not on the, the same gradient as sexuality. And it's not the same gradient as gender. It's independent of those two things. Exactly. Right. That's why the same thing, why we don't tell people how to be polyamorous. There's a fucking million ways. Right? Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, you just go online and you'll be confused in 15 minutes, right? Like, how to be polyamorous. Like, don't follow rule books. It's just like different experiences and, and there are patterns, but there are no written rules. Everything is just right. like, a, yeah. There's and no map. map. And I say this a lot like, burn all of the maps. The maps are, don't survive the battlefield of life. Maps are only good for a certain time period, for a certain person, a certain circumstance with certain resources. At the end of the day, that's not going to survive anything. And, and life is going to throw you a curveball because the terrain is going to change. And all of a sudden that map is useless. So what's better is a compass and a compass that's tuned to value systems. And really, I think the best way to explore identity is to explore beliefs and, and values what do you value? Why do you value it? What, same thing with the relationships. What do you value in a relationship? Why do you value that in a relationship? And how do you get that from partners? And then sexuality. What do you value in your sexuality? And what do you value in other sexuality? And that's how you tune and find each other rather than by checking boxes in a map of, that society has given you. It's exactly. Life and love are not checklists or just like exactly. Exactly. So love is love. And the newest like hashtag is love is love is love. Right. Yeah. And I think, okay, so I really feel like I want to make sure we have time and I, that we touch on masks. Because I think what we really talked about is identity, the fluidity of identity, the, the fact that these things get collapsed in these different spectrums and how love and relating and romance and sexuality and gender all need to be separated and explored separately and and then the collective can be part of your identity and it can change and then we also then talk about how we can love each other and then we briefly talked about masks and how they can be protective i want when you and i've had this conversation before and kyle and i've had this conversation as well when masks become identities, when labels that we use become identities, they become really dangerous because a mask is not an identity. So why don't you tell me about your experience of masks? I will comment on something very interesting that I talked with my brother I, actually a couple of hours ago. And I always hated like this stereotype of the bad guys in a movie or just like a TV show. And their idea is to unify the minds of everybody so everybody thinks the same. And in fact, we actually see the opposite effect and the bad effect of, of that ideology in our society every day, because there are a ton of people that live under a mask and they truly believe that that mask is who they are. And that comes from not being self-reflective or not having the opportunity to understand that the map that you were given, I mean, it's, it's just like complete... Bullshit. Well, I think there's so many people, and I've heard this, that don't believe they can change their thoughts or mind, right? They, they believe that it's like inherent inside them. They, they don't, they don't that's believe they in change. Yeah. They yeah. They talk. don't believe or know and like, or understand indoctrination. They don't necessarily 
have that, even though they've changed their mind before, they don't necessarily have that awareness. And then they, they fear that self-reflection. And I've seen that quite a bit. I think there is that in homophobia. Yeah. You know, as a kid that grew up in a suburb of Chicago in a predominantly Christian, like Catholic white community, I went to Catholic school. There's so much homophobia. What is homophobia? Well, homophobia isn't like you're afraid of gay people, right? Homophobia is you're afraid to be gay yourself, right? And like there is this fear that if you think about a dick and it all arouses you as a as a male, you're gay. And everyone would be like, oh, you looked at his dick too long in the locker room. You're gay, right? Like, And it's funny because I, I grew up with this whole my whole life until I got to a point where I, I was older. And I was like, wait, you know, thinking about a dick and being aroused doesn't make me gay. Maybe interacting with that someone else's dick and having that experience makes me gay. If I choose to then have that as my lifestyle, but if I were just to have that experience, would I be gay or would I have just been gay curious? And there's no way to answer these fucking questions. So it's like no, it's the no. fear that <laughs> young men have is that if I think about a dick and I'm aroused, I'm gay. So I'm going to answer that question and that now. That's not true. And you don't need to be scared of it, right? In fact, how I went into polyamory and opened up my relationship is I had to think about, well, if I'm going to share my wife with another man, do I even allow myself? Do I have feelings for men? Do Why don't I, I have an attraction to men? Is there something blocking me? And it's you know, to get to that root of saying, okay, well, I've, I've been afraid of being naked in front of another man. There's this size complex that we grow up with. And you have these, like, I've been afraid of incidental touch. And what does that mean? And like, then you have to go through all this stuff to realize, no, I'm, I'm straight because I straight to whatever degree I'm straight, because I really appreciate sex with women. That's what I want. That's what I'm desire. That's like deep down my sexual desire is there. Does that mean that I'm hundred percent straight? No. No, right? <laughs> so like at the end of the day, it's it's such a harmful concept of of having to wear this mask that I never have even thought about. Exactly. And it's what I explained to you with like having like this confusion in, in my own gender and sexual orientation thoughts that I believe that I was just like a cis heterosexual guy like this. And it was just ridiculous. And it came to a point where I was like, OK, I feel aroused by women, but I also feel aroused by men and I made all of those questions that you just made but it came on point where I asked myself does it really matter <laughs> why does it matter so much to me and why do I care so much about why what identity of what look do other people have or what do they have in their pants so at that point I mean I just like started to identify as pansexual because I came to the conclusion that I didn't care and I felt the same level of attraction to people regardless of their gender. It was more about how we matched and how like our feelings just like combined and made this just just like beautiful mix. And it wasn't yeah. dependent on, on, on gender at all. Well, I think we also have to then separate out attraction too, because am I attracted to other men? Yes, but not sexually. I'm attracted to other men that are nerds that want to play board games with me. I'm attracted to other men, right? There are some other men's physical body that I admire because I want to be fit like that. And I can see them as attractive men. I'm not sexually attracted to them. Like there's that more platonic or admiration or romantic. Right. There's different levels of attraction. There's different parts of attraction. Do I have my door closed to that? No, I don't have my door closed to it because I feel like a closed door doesn't make any sense 
No, but there's not been a there's not been any reason to open it either. There's no like expression of that. So like just trying to have that healthy boundary, and this exists everywhere in our lives. It even exists with political tastes and things like that. So I I'm trying to be fluid in all areas of my life without as many labels. And I think this is where I'd like to steer the conversation to when is a label good and when is a mask good, right? Because I feel like labels have value. For me, having a label of entrepreneur had value because it made me know what communities to explore. It made me try different hats on, right? A label of vegetarian, that's fine too. Like these things have value, but, but so masks i think are the same way so give me some your take on healthy expression of masks in in that sense from what i gather from what you just said about just like identity and labels i think that they have their their specific use but they are not cases labels are not cases that you should just like stay forever in them they yeah. help you to describe and understand your environment and surrounding and feelings and many other things that cannot necessarily be expressed with words or we haven't just come up with a with a term to like just like describe it yet and the thing with labels is that if they are used correctly they can be used to respectfully represent like an idea or a concept or a spectrum Because if we don't find a respectful way to do it, some other people that don't understand the, the topic whatsoever are going to call themselves the authority or of what that label is supposed to mean and what it's supposed to be called. And just like, I mean, we have the word homosexual or, or gay. And if you don't have those labels to represent accurately and respectfully the topic at hand, you're going to have people just like really, really calling people facts or just like pussies or, or stuff like that because they feel that they have the right and authority because nobody else has picked up that name. So yeah, they- so in a way, in a way, like we, we use the labels like clothing, we take them on and off, we either make a statement with them, or we blend with them. And, you know, we, we wear a suit to a funeral, but we, we wear, you know, uh, the loudest, craziest thing we do to pride parade, right? Because we yeah. want We're making different statements and we're so labels are some things you put on and off, but they're not identities. Exactly. And they may attempt to in in the wrong case, labels can be used to describe things in a negative light. Like for example, like the examples that I gave you. You can either call like a person homosexual or gay and it's completely like neutral because like I mean that's like the specific term and it's like devoid of subjectivity in the sense that it's not considered something good or bad. It's just like a sexual orientation and, and that's it. Then that's the context of the topic of conversation too. Like where, where we go to, Hey, are we going to a gay bar? Yeah. Is there a negative connotation in that? If we're just talking about our plans for the night? No, it's, this is like the objective reality of this bar identifies itself as gay. This is where we're going to go. That's that's what we're talking about. Like this, there's no subjectivity there for us to be like, oh, you're gay. Why does it fucking matter right now? Right? We're at church. Fuck off. You know, like <laughs> there's all that, you know, whatever it is. Right? Is that what I hear you saying? Is that a better way? Not a better way, but an explanation. Yes, it's just like an, uh, it can be used to objectively describe something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's just a case that it's isolated from context and and just like being influenced by other things in in, in just like that spectrum. So. Labels are 
in an unhealthy manner, if you take them to an unhealthy manner, a mask that people identify with. Like, for example, if you say, I mean, I am just like such a cancer, so just like a, like a Capricorn, and <laughs> I start to make up excuses because of an horoscope that told me that if I was born in this, this like time of the year and in this specific year, I'm supposed to behave like in, in this certain specific manner. So people just like keep on believing that if the horoscope tells me that I am a cancer, I am supposed to portray these ladies like. Well, I, I think that's the dangerous slippery slope of taking a label and making it an identity. Exactly. And it's the same thing with masks. So I, you know, we talk about masks, like you have to wear a mask, Dala, yeah. because it's not safe to be a transgendered person in the world generally. Mm -hmm. Right. So in this way, masks are necessary, unfortunately. For survival. Yes. For survival. And so we advocate both of us to anyone in a survival position that you'd be who you need to be in that context to survive. But that in that same token, don't confuse that survival mask with your identity. Exactly. I, I think like that's the <laughs> that's the main idea and that's what started this this conversation. That it's okay to wear masks and in particular in, in my community, in the trans community, what happens a lot of time is that a lot of younger transgender people are being told by these just like huge celebrities in, in YouTube that are transgender as well or queer as well, that they should just like all the time portray who they are and just like people should accept you for who you are. And the truth is that that should be the case, but people preach it and sometimes they don't practice it themselves. So be very careful with, with the idea that you have to be yourself like 100% of the time because that could put you in a dangerous situation if you are not observant of the people that, that surround you. Yeah, and we want you to theoretically be out in the world, whether you're poly or transgender or gay, anywhere in the spectrum. We want you to be out because we want that to be normalized. However, there are places where being out can be life-threatening. Yes. And you need to protect yourself. So what I think I advise people to do is find the communities you can be out within, if that makes sense, right? You can go into a community and you can be out and you can build that community. It's like you creating your other social media account. It's like our relationship. You're safe with me. I'm safe with you. We can be out. We can be our authentic self. This is a true connection. That's what breeds love. That's what builds strength, right? It's not codependent. All these things is very strong. You need that. So if you're out there hiding in masks, right, be kind to yourself it's about valid. those masks. Don't own those masks as your identity, but do seek the communities that you can be out in. And if you're in those communities, if you have an open, safe community, be accepting, right? And don't collapse all this shit together so that you can go to a, a protest for women and you can feel accepted and, and powerful and in the community. And I didn't go alone to that protest either. I had a friend that accompanied me all the way. And she said, like, you know what? If someone dares to touch you or do anything, I am going to protect you. So that's the only reason that I went, because I understood that even if people on that context weren't going to accept me, I had someone to back me up and just like run away in case that things got dangerous. And this is where people have to risk privilege. Yes. Right. And I have... I have a great request for people out there in privilege. Like if you have ordinary privilege, like you're privileged because of the color of your skin, where you were born, how old you are, what you look like, 
you have a privilege that's considered ordinary. And if your black coworker is having some experiences and other black coworkers speak up for them, they don't have ordinary privileges. They have to fight against the grain, right? To be heard. But if you're white and in power and you speak up for your black brothers and sisters in your community, then you're extending your ordinary privilege to be heard and you're cre- you're creating a contrast but you can't you have to put this fine line here you can't speak for them you can't be the savior you have to create the context in which the, the the language is heard so this is a really difficult thing but if you have privilege in this world you need to create safe spaces for others and you need to risk that privilege and we have a service in the community for people that help us with their privilege And it's called allies and allies are important in just like the extension of our rights as, as people in, in this society. But at the same time, they need to understand that they don't represent us all the time. They are just there to back us up because they give more leverages to leverage to our message. And they also help us in order to feel more protected in, in the society that we live in. Well, so, that's then... it. That's your allies. <laughs> This was my intention for this conversation is I hope to be an ally. And if any way for any listener, for yourself, that if in any way I violated that ally partnership, I apologize. And I'm open to hear how I can do better. And in this, this conversation, I want to use my privilege. I, I won't be attacked. Even if I get attacked, Like if I get physically attacked, I'm very well trained and I haven't been in a fight in 20 years, but I'd be happy to kick someone's ass just for old time. <laughs> right? I have, I own my company. I, I work in, a, in an industry where it doesn't really matter. People don't even fucking see me. They don't care who the fuck I am. I'm in a family that will accept me anyway that already sees me as crazy. I'm in this relationship. I have a strong tribe of my friends, which I know tribe is a dangerous word to use too. We have to consider the indigenous qualities of that, but We have this strong group, this this entity that we have together that I have a lot of support. I have a fuck ton of privilege. And in that privilege, I want it to be really clear that my heart fucking dies when I see news from home about transgender women that are or transgendered people that are being killed and people that are being lynched for going jogging. And, and it's not safe to be black or brown or Latin or any of these things. And... I want that to fucking stop, right? And I want people to open their fucking eyes and I want them to stop collapsing gender and sexuality and romance and love into one fucking thing and giving it one fucking label and then not making it safe for other people to be around. So I want you to be safe, Dala, everywhere you go. I will accept all of your masks when you need to wear them. I hope that I create a safe place for you to be authentic. I feel we do and I really do love you and I'm really happy to have you as part of my life. I am very happy as well. And this is something that I told you like since the first time that we met. I knew right away <laughs> when you stepped and just like gave your speech. And like, I'm not going to mention like any brands or anything, but it was a conference. And when I heard you speak about just like your difficulties and struggle with, with just like feeling that you belong, I, I felt that. And when we had like this chat in, in, in the both with, with just like Megan and, and just us, I felt like the safest in, in the whole trip because I couldn't talk to anybody else. And I knew at, at the next day that you were someone trustworthy and that I could just like 
share you even just like i mean i was scared as well <laughs> because i am just like throwing away my my mask and, and facade but it's because i saw value in in the friendship that that i have now with both you and 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 megan and i don't know there was something there that just clicked instantly and it made me just like lower my mask and it's just like to tell you i mean i am asking you these things because i have to hive every day <laughs> and i have to wear that mask but you see you are someone that i value and i don't want to have to wear it with you and uh, that's something that just like happened in in the in the com after the conference i think actually yeah i hope i hope uh, i hope you never feel like you have to wear a mask with me And that, that's something I didn't know about that conference. So for the people listening, I think you're talking about when I shared about, yeah, about belonging. I literally cried in front of like a hundred people. It was like, I'm not leading the conference. I'm not a speaker at the conference. I'm a participant in the conference. And they give you an opportunity to speak at the microphone for like what you're experiencing. And I just went up there and shared to the point of tears, a very vulnerable share And I think that I love you for, for bringing that up because that is truly my belief system that we just be vulnerable. Like we relate in vulnerability and I got so much support, care, opportunity out of me going up and speaking vulnerably than I would have if I had gone up there and pretended I was something that I wasn't. And so I, I want to say, you know, kudos to the conference for creating a safe space for me. And I really appreciate you for recognizing me in that way and for feeling safe because it validates the work that I've been trying to do in my life. And I haven't always been that guy because I realized in preparing for this conversation with you that in my career working on the West side of Chicago, real estate development, one of the people that was AKA my mentor, the guy that got me into the business was transgendered. And he identified as female and I didn't understand it because I was like, oh, well, he likes men. He's gay. I did this whole collapse of this thing. And I met my future business partner and his friend who are gay, who just like ripped the bandaid off of everything. Like I wasn't homophobic, but they, they just went raunchy with me. They, they fucked with me all the time. And I just got more and more comfortable. And I was able to ask them questions that I was afraid to ask any gay man. I never had the opportunity. And so they really taught me. And one of the things I have to say is that I wasn't, I had no context of understanding of what it, what he meant about feeling female in a male body and what that meant about his sexuality and his experience of everything. And we didn't get along, me and, me and her, not because of her transgender. She was an asshole. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I know someone that like that here in my town. <laughs> we are in the community but we are very different people and yeah, yeah you don't have a dip, you don't have a diplomatic community card with me no matter what part of the spectrum you're in if you're a fucking asshole you're an asshole like that's just <laughs> that's a label that might just fucking stick to <laughs> other people but and like capitals everything else is like immediately became lowercase compared to the world asshole in here <laughs> yeah exactly like all these other identities you're gonna get assholes gonna take them all right but no i appreciate you for what i've learned too and i want to evolve my understanding and i feel like that's the point of these conversations is to reveal be vulnerable i want people to know what it's like to be you i want them to feel comfortable being them i want people like me And who have been like me in the past to get beyond all this to evolve because love is love and yeah. yeah so is there anything you want to say 
to the people listening. Our Amory audience is an incredibly beautiful audience of very mixed people all over the spectrum. So anything you want to say to them? At the moment, just think of love as something fluid, not binary or rigid. And if you are part of the same community as I am, stay safe. Stay safe and remember that you are already battling just by existing. <laughs> and every day that you make it through and that you survive, it's a small victory. Even if that doesn't seem like that way in, in the situation that you are at the moment. I, I think that's all I have to say <laughs> at the moment. Okay. And for all those in their battles, you're not alone. There are allies and people like you and me are trying to make more safe spaces out there for everybody. To all those out there who are making safe spaces for others, we love you and we support you. This has been awesome. Thank you for being so vulnerable with me. Thank you for sharing your life with me. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this conversation. It's never a problem. <laughs> Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode. I'm really proud of my friend. She's brave. She's brilliant. She inspires me and she teaches me. And if you like this episode and you like the conversations that we're having in the world and they spark something in you, they spark a conversation, they spark some evolution, they spark some change, please consider helping us keep these conversations going by supporting us on Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash Amory podcast. You can help with as little as $2 a month to help us support the conversation in the world. And then there are several tiers above there where you get access to our journals, access to exclusive content, ad-free podcasts, and intimate content that we have at one of our levels where we really get deep into who we are and what we're dealing with in our lives. And hopefully it all is there to help others on this journey in their journey. So if you have the means and you're willing to support us, check us out on Patreon. Enjoy the rest of your day and go out and be the change you wish to see in the world. Love you all.